Welcome, welcome, welcome. How's everybody doing? Hope you are doing well. My name is Andrew Kuhn from Focus Compounding on air live with Jeff Gannon. Jeff, how's it going today? It's going very well, Andrew. How's it going with you? It's going great. We hope it's going great with everybody else as well. If this is the first time you're tuning in with us, thank you so much for joining us. Be sure to check out all of our content that we push out into the investing universe. Uh, the best way to do that is to follow me on X at, at Focused Compound. If you want to get access to investment write-ups from Jeff going all the way back to 2005, it's a long time when we're in year 2024, mm -hmm. uh, for free, you could go to FocusedCompound.com and get access to that. Uh, another reason why you should follow me on X uh, is because every now and then, I'll either do a call for questions, I'll tweet about a specific topic we're going to talk about and ask for input from viewers that we'll bring up on the podcast, or we'll do a call for stocks and do a snap judgment uh, podcast. I always love doing these because this was the first podcast mm -hmm. style that we did a long time ago where I felt like we were connecting with our viewers. Like we did do a call for questions oh, yeah. and people would email mm -hmm. in questions, which was great. But I really liked when we did snap judgments because, you know, it was just cool just to interact with people that listen and follow our stuff and you know, doing that through X is a great way. Um, uh, so definitely follow me at Focus Compound. All the information is in the description below. Uh, so we will be pulling up stocks uh, through quickfs.net. If you do sign up for QuickFS, tell me who came from Focus Compounding. Um, and we'll start with the first one. So Aircap, AER, I believe that's the company, Aircap, and yeah. Boeing keep having issues. New planes will be delayed even longer. Aircap should see lease rates go up in the future and seem to be turning into a share cannibal. What does cash tag Jeff think? So air cap, share cannibal, mm -hmm. what does that mean? Term from Charlie Munger, oh. rest in peace. Companies that Younger, just yeah. mm -hmm. buy back, buy back a ton of time. Tons so of stocks. You can see it going down. Yeah. I think we talked about Dillard's or something. It's not just buying back once in a while, but like over a long period of time, they actually bring the share count down. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think um, the backdrop to that was Monish talked to him and he mm -hmm. said like carefully study spinoffs, follow other smart investors and follow companies that are cannibals that just Absolutely. buy back a ton of stock. Yeah. So we can look at that air cap holdings, $15.2 billion market cap. Oh, wow. Is that small? Is that big? Well, the thing with air cap is the enterprise value 60 billion. Mm -hmm. So lots of leverage here in this company. Um, they engage in the lease financing, sale, and management of commercial flight equipment in China, Hong Kong, Macau, in the United States, Ireland, and internationally. So mm -hmm. uh, we've talked about them before the podcast. Headquartered in Dublin, Ireland. I did not know that. Yeah. Um, why? What? <laughs> no, I mean, I don't know. Ireland's okay. not a big market. You're in Ireland, and you have operations there, and that for um, tax reasons and stuff, probably. Uh-huh. There yeah. is one big, there are two big airlines, but there's one really big airline out of Ireland, but that's why you're there. Mm -hmm. So what's going on here, right? Let's look at the cash flow statement. Uh, cash flow from operations is always a lot higher than net income, something that first uh, sticks out to me. Mm -hmm. um, uh, let's see, net issuance of common stock. So we said that they seem to be going the share cannibal route. Well, TTM, they bought back over almost $2 billion worth of stock. Uh, that's what huge, that looks yeah. like. It's and a big what I say they didn't billion. always do that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. So, so yeah, it is a pivot. 
any thoughts on air cap holdings? I remember it's, during COVID you had, mm-hmm. you were a little worried about them just because flights were halted. And it was like, what's going to happen to all these planes? Where are they going to go? Sure. Um, so you have the same issue with them that we said with like, um, I guess when we talked about like maybe, um, I don't know if it was literally commercial real estate or something like that, which is obviously there'd be problems for customers, but that doesn't necessarily mean you wouldn't think that that would necessarily mean that there'd be defaults and things for them and all that, because obviously they know what they were doing and work through that when we talked about COVID. Right. Um, it's just not something that I know enough about is the answer. I mean, this is all really one kind of bet. Um, so which is, which in terms of this is a finance, I mean, we could talk about lots of different companies like this. Aircap is not the only one. There's uh, life insurance and annuity companies. We don't talk about that much of stuff um, because they're all the same thing. It's it, if you look through, this is mainly we're talking about like it's a company that has this big market share and everything, but its balance sheet is mainly just the same thing in very big scale um, and has the same sort of economics because of that. Uh, and so I, I don't know how it describes itself in the overview. We can try that, see whether, how it describes itself in the business description. Um, does it at least give us information about... Yeah, it's not going to be helpful. It's just very far outside my circle of competence, I would say. Very mm-hmm. far. You would need experts who are knowledgeable about this particular kind of thing. Um and that's all I would say. I'd say the same thing when you see leasing businesses in the um, um, rail stuff too. Same thing. Mm-hmm. Got it. Uh, let's see. W. Uh, let's see. RWWI has a royalty on Autodesk sales as a North American reseller. Trades at fifteen times or so. Capital Light pays out all retained earnings. Should grow with yeah. Autodesk, which itself that- has a tremendous moat. That all could be true. I, I believe it's Peter Kamen Company, right? Um, is oh, it? ran worldwide. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, so all the things they said are true. They've been things that that management team has done or that owner or whatever has done at other kinds of companies. I am familiar with the stock a little bit and almost exactly my familiarity is what you just said in that tweet. Uh-huh. I so. mean, the returns have been really good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you got to look at the playbook of what those owners have done at other companies, which is mm-hmm. largely what was just said there. And then you just got to look at the thing that was just said there, which is the company is completely um, Autodesk-based on that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rumble, the largest power sports dealership group in the country. They recently finished a rights offering, raising $100 million, which was used to pay off debt. Insiders hold over 60% of float. The stock trades at 2024 EBITDA multiple of five. Based on EBITDA of ninety million guidance, I think that's Rumble R M B L. But I thought that's oh, that's got to be Rumble on. Okay, uh, specialty retail. Let's see, operates a technology based omni-channel platform in North America. It operates through three segments: power sports, automotive, and vehicle logistics. Hmm. Am I getting this mixed up? Is that not the Rumble that I'm thinking? Yeah, I guess not. Uh, rumble on. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, um, well, yeah, we need more information. I don't think I know enough about the company, and the quick FS stuff definitely doesn't give us enough information. 
um, you see pretty rapid change in what you're seeing there. If we just look like for people listening just to the podcast and not seeing the last few years, um, what has revenue grown by in the last couple of years? It's uh, the Kager's been exponential. So 156 million in 2018, 841 in 2019, 416 in 2020, 2021, 924, then 2022, 1.8 billion. I mean, so you're having triple, sometimes triple digit revenue growth. Yeah. And can we look at the income statement to see the share count for those same time period? Yeah. Well, he said they were diluting, right? Yeah. So they've mm -hmm. gone from uh, 2020, 2 million. 2021, 7 million, 2022, 16 million. Yeah. Not something we'd yeah. probably be interested in. It's just outside of what we can really do. I mean, they're kind of building the company by, you know, changing it in terms of the financial structure and everything. It's as if it's, it's being built up and going public in public markets as part of the process. It's not normally what you see. Um, so it might be fine, might not, it, you know, they're, they're doing things that they think are smart, but we would have a really hard time evaluating that because you're not going to see a consistent company performance over time that we can judge. Mm-hmm. That's not something we do. Let's see. Oops. ALS N is a dominant player in automatic transmissions for medium and heavy duty vehicles with 70 to 80% market share in its core addressable market. Low organic growth, but return of us a capital over 50% long term, raising product prices, trading at 10 times free cash flow or less and most free cash flow used for buybacks. Okay. Well, we could look that at this one. Interesting. Let's see. What's the company? Allison Transmission yeah. Holdings. $5.2 billion market cap, $7.2 billion enterprise value. Uh, let's see, they uh, design, manufactures, and sells commercial and defense fully automatic transmissions for medium and heavy-duty commercial vehicles. So basically what he had just said uh, mm -hmm. was founded in 1915, headquartered in Indianapolis, Indiana. Prices to earnings eight times, EBIT sales 2.4 times, 10-year uh, media margins on EBIT. 26.8 so that's right in the wheelhouse of what you would like to mm -hmm. see uh, for a company trading at 2.4 times EV to sales 12 times EV to free cash flow um, gross margins looks like they've kind of jumped around a little bit um, operating margins have gone up over time return on equity looks strong return on asset capital is kind of looks like you know some years are great some years are not um, mm -hmm. yeah, interesting. Yeah. So it looks interesting that, like we said, in terms of multiples of sales versus things like EBIT and free cash flow, looks good. It could be, you know, 10 times, maybe more 10 times like pre-tax and 13 times free cash flow or something. I'd have to do the exact calculation, but low double digit type, you know, owner earnings, cash P, whatever you want to call it kind of stuff. Um, it, it does the EV and the market cap are not the same here. So keep that in mind. There's some leverage and stuff, but generally what we're talking about value stock. Um, mm -hmm. you also see good things in that, and this is complicated because obviously I can write things off. There can be tangible interchange or whatever, but revenue and asset growth is not too high. Whereas the growth in things like enterprise in terms of, uh, earnings per share over the last 10 years is, uh, is more what we're looking for that way. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That could be good or bad. It could mean it's slow growth and there's not a much organic opportunity here and whatever, but it can also mean the company is doing some smart things 
and profitability is going up over time, which we can see on the return on invested capital chart there is the case. You're right, mm -hmm. that is very cyclical. But to the extent that we can see a pattern, it is upwards. Um, mm -hmm. It is improving. You've got kind of lower lows at least. Um, and the things that you would like to see with a cyclical, it's hard because it depends on how long the cycle is and often you have to comp it against other things. But it is nice when you see that each point at the lowest point of the cycle or whatever each time, it's the same or better, right? And so cyclical doesn't mean that you're not going anywhere. Mm -hmm. it, still, the business can be improving over time, but it can't overcome the cyclicality within each cycle, but it can improve at the same point in each cycle. Mm -hmm. And that all seems like it could be happening here. Um, we could look at like, um, it's not the same thing, but like Cummins or something like that. Um, for an example of something else that might have some similarities, at least on the numbers here. That's my, um, uh, that's my engine in my truck. I got a Cummins yeah. engine. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I didn't even know they're public. Yeah. So I don't, um, I, that this is a little hard because the graph, you know, doesn't show you that, but it, it's a cyclical company that tends to have very high returns on invested capital over time. And it's just a good business that way. Um, and probably liked for a lot of the same reasons, but I think also organically isn't huge, right? Let's see. What's the 10 year numbers there? 10 year revenue growth, 5% asset growth, 9% free cash flow growth, 3% EPS, 6%. Yeah. So that's, uh, it's hardly the same, but you know, um, and obviously it doesn't have the same sorts of margins and stuff, but I do believe the turns are better, right? Cause the actual return on capital is pretty good. Yeah. The return mm -hmm. on equity at least. Um, Yeah. So what I meant, though, is highly cyclical, but most of the points in the cycle are pretty acceptable. Um, mm -hmm. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I would look at it. Sure. If it, if you have to be in that category of, I don't know, 5 or $10 billion stocks or whatever, sure. Um, you know, we can look Market the most recent five. period. Market cap five billion, and of course there's some leverage. So let's say EV seven point two, but I mean this thing routinely does a pretty good amount of cash flow. Yeah, the thing I would be cautious about, right, is especially because we're not in super small stocks here, and um, it's kind of we talked about electric vehicles and stuff. Uh, there's people who know more about some of these things technically and stuff and what they think the next three years, five years, et cetera, is. So two important parts are where you are in the cycle, but also where you are in terms of if people have ideas that some of these things are going to have grimmer futures um, long-term because of technologies and stuff and some better. I know we talked about that with like Garrett Motion or something probably. We don't talk about it a lot, but there are companies where people are pricing in um, negativity and positivity based on their views of what technology things will be. And these are people who know more about the stuff and who do more checks of what people say is going to happen. Doesn't mean it will happen, but just something to keep in mind that often explains the price differential, multiple differentials is like here are the technologies and things that people think are going to have a future in the industry a lot. And here are the ones that they think are going to kind of taper off over time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so far, Sounds like uh, it's the most interesting one that we've come across. By the numbers is the best, yeah. Mm -hmm. no doubt. Mm -hmm. Let's look at the stock chart. Just curious to see how it's done uh, compared to the S&P 500, at least from a price perspective. Let's see if that works here. All-time uh, mm -hmm. S&P has destroyed it. Let's see, five years. Yep, five-year S&P has destroyed it. 
uh, two years, Allison has won, uh, mm-hmm. and on a one-year basis as well. But long-term, uh, just buying the S&P 500 was a better investment. Better, yeah. Mm-hmm. Got it. Uh, let's see. Fannie Mae. Oh, okay. Most profit per employee in the universe of yeah. public companies. Trump already agreed to release from uh, C-ship. Uh, was that conservative ship? Coin flip on yeah. election. Odds on for release. And Paulson is named as Treasury Secretary. Has been a buyer yeah. in the past. Fannie um, Mae, that's still going on. Goodness. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's it's... Outside my circle of competence. If we thought air cap was hard, let's pick one that's even harder that way. Um, yeah, the reason why it has the most profit, it, let, let's be honest here, the reason why it has the most profit in, in the world uh, per employee and stuff is that it's not a real business. It's like, you know, uh, federal agricultural, you know, um, AGM. Um, it is, um, it's somewhat similar in those same ways to your FICOs and your Moody's and stuff. It, it applies a dusting of secret sauce to it, which does not really require many employees. If we ever get AI stuff right and stuff, this is something that can be done entirely by AI. It does not need human beings involved to make decisions. And um, when humans were involved at some of these companies, they blew up and stuff too. So, you know, it might be better if it was totally rules-based. Um, yeah, it's just a, f- a function that the government's kind of outsourced to something else. Yeah, there are legal things over what happened and all that. You know, um, and we don't know. It's what courts decide and everything. But, you know, um, what was the market cap of this sucker when it, like, before it had to it go into gigantic. conservatorship? I, I don't know. Yeah. You know, I mean, just like look at it, right? So we have a $1.6 billion. Dollar... Yeah. Huge. You know, I, <laughs> right. So, I mean, the, the, look, the, the equity was always small compared to the total balance sheet. Uh-huh. So it's not, you know, when people say like, oh, how could this ever be that it disappeared? It, like it did not disappear. Your equity in it disappeared because you had very little equity in it. You know what I mean? Like the a small change, it, um, a small change in the, I mean, well, okay. How far back does this go? I don't know. How 2012. Do you have the, does the Excel go back any further than 2012? So yeah, at least it the goes balance sheet size and stuff. Yeah, let's see. All right. pull it up. But anyway, it, it you know, um, yeah, and people can look up. I'm sure there's, they've got it. I don't go on internet things and look for it, but I'm sure there's people pushing for stuff and message uh-huh. boards and blogs and political arguments one way and the other about what the government did and what should have happened in the court cases and all that, you know? Uh-huh. Um, that's not really our thing. Like, the the government did stuff because there was a, crisis and they think that they have the power to do things or they think it's the right thing to do they do it and worry later about whether they have the power to do it that's typical i mean you know how courts eventually rule on that and how they change things and what politicians decide i don't know but uh, that's the way the world works so i mean pre-conservatorship we're talking in the tens of billions right 47 billion 57 billion 40 billion 73 billion this is a one billion dollar market cap right now. Um, mm-hmm. At some point, I mean, what's the stated book value of this? At least of the equity, tangible book value, sixty billion, right? And maybe that's off. Maybe it's actually forty billion. Who knows? At some point, do you just like wake up one day and it's like Christmas morning, and you know this thing trades 
you know, it comes out of conservatorship and it trades at like even half I'm, of what book value is. And you just made, you know, 20, 30, 40 times your money. I'm sure. That's Could that happen thing. in your lifetime? Could you just throw a feeler out there? Is that better than playing the lottery? It might be better than playing the lottery. I don't know the odds involved in everything. Um, and it may be that it never has to work out. People just have to increase their odds of thinking that it will work out. Um, I think, you know, here's the thing. I've been involved in things, looked at things to buy them and not bought them that on the basis of fair things, if they got their day in court and everything was fair and they had enough money for it to run out and stuff would be worth something and would, should have won their case and stuff. Uh-huh. I didn't buy them. Didn't think that they would win their case. Didn't whatever. And they didn't, you know, we have to face the facts as they really are and not what we think that they should be that way. So if you're asking, what do I think the odds are of some of these things? Um, yeah, I, it's not so great. Um, mm -hmm. that doesn't mean that they can't get some money in, in there and stuff, but they don't, there's not a lot of bargaining power here to work this out differently. And, um, why the government did what it did at the time that it did it is because it could do it quickly and because there are people who wouldn't object. Um, so yeah, why say car companies or unions or something get bailed out and other things get, you get nothing. Uh, because those people are well-liked in society and the people who are involved with this, whether shareholders or people running and stuff, are not well-liked by society. So they don't need you to win votes and stuff, you know? Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, people like the people who make their cars and the people who, you know, and they like the farmers and they like that, you know. So they have no goodwill built up in society. And so if they can take everything away from you and it's most convenient for them to do it, they'll do it. Mm -hmm. um, you know? There might yeah. be legal things for it and whatever, but I'm just saying that that's what it is, even if the dream is that it's based on what was written to the law and stuff and what should have happened. What happened happened, you know? Um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Let's see. Uh, Liberty Global, John Malone special trading mm -hmm. at 15% free cash flow yield while reporting earnings are zilch. Uh, we could yeah. pull that up. Um, we just talked about Cable Cowboy. I think recently I said that there's a they put in print or something. Uh-huh. Uh, let's see. So, yep, here you go. $8 billion company, $19 billion enterprise value. It says earnings are zilch. What does he mean by that? Um, um, operating profit is pretty much zilch. Yeah, he's right. Look at uh -huh. 12 months and stuff, right? Uh-huh. Why is that? Why has that changed? Uh, we'd have to look carefully there. Um, what was it a few years ago? Yeah. Is it taxing? You never know with this guy. Let's see. Cash flow statement. I mean, it still generates a bunch of cash. Cash flow from operations is mostly what I'd look at, you know, in yeah. terms of the earning power of a company like this probably. So, uh huh. And it's been more stable, right? Yeah. Uh huh. Mm -hmm. Let's see. Generates free cash flow, buys back a good amount of stock. Mm hmm. I mean, it buys back stock, and we said, also issues you know, it, that Munger said, yeah, it's just debt, yeah. Munger said, look, look for the ones that are the cannibals, and look for following other investors into things. You can go on Dataroma or on other sites that track these things and find all the people who follow all the John Malone companies and everything, and I would do that. They're way too complicated for us to talk about on the podcast. Right? They're always up to doing things one way or the other to change things around and stuff. His strategy often may be to take this thing and merge it into this thing to find a good thing so that he can 
you know, he could be saying, okay, let's leverage this so we get a good deal with Paramount on this thing, or this, you know, can be a movie thing this day, can be a radio thing this day, a cable thing this way. He's more worried about what do the people want and what value will they put on it and how can you do it in the most tax efficient way than worrying about reporting to you on what the results are. So follow the bigger investors and follow what kind of things he might be thinking. But he's a control owner. Um, like he thinks in terms of control even when he only has influence. And so it's the ultimate value of these things like as businesses and not how they trade as pieces of paper and what they report. Let's look at AMR. Let's see. Alpha Metallurgical Resources. Uh, oil and gas. A mining company produces, processes, mm -hmm. and sells mat and thermal coal in Virginia and West Virginia. Yeah. Um, uh, let's see. Market cap, $5.1 Enterprise value, $4.8 billion. Trading cheap. <laughs> Like most coal yeah. companies, uh, it's outside earnings. Yeah, it's outside the circle of competence. Um, this does it tell you about them breaking up things? It's not the one that was with. Um, yeah, because there's two parts. What does it say? This was the old Contour, or what was yeah. this one? Contour. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, what's the other part um, that's publicly traded? Oh, um, is it not? It's not CNX Resources. What is the name of it? Um, Anyway, there used to be there used to be a company that had both coal and gas in the uh, same area, and the one that's gone in they, they've gone in very different directions. But one of them that had the gas stuff is that is it CNX? Yeah, I think so. Mm -hmm. Okay, if so, then I'm more familiar with CNX probably with them with with AMR, because um, CNX right is the one that has William Thorndike on the board and stuff. I don't know the, out, the guy who wrote the Outsiders and stuff. I think that uh -huh. that's the one. Um, so. If so, the CNX is the company I'm thinking of, which I hope it is, and I'm not just getting confused. Unfortunately, these companies sometimes use names that... Uh, yeah, you're right. Mm -hmm. CNX, he's on the board. Yeah. Okay. So that's the same company. So they basically like hedge everything. So they're like natural gas and stuff in the area because the coal and the natural gas often were in the same places and stuff. That's how you end up with them. They would like hedge everything and then they buy back their stock aggressively and stuff. So it's a very different company than people might think. The issue with the coal things is, look, I don't know what the right price for coal is and stuff. I don't know what to say other than, you know, people know that we've been in NACO and stuff. NACO's not exposed to coal prices. So we made our, you know, we don't own Halidor. We've talked, I think we talked about it or something. That's the company that is a little different in terms of how it's financially structured, but is most similar to some aspects of what NACO was at one time. Um, these other ones are based on coal things that are different. Now we're also NACO's thermal coal. This is metallurgical coal. Um, but you know, you could listen to what I say. You could listen to what I do. What I do is obviously in thermal coal stuff that isn't exposed to prices going all over the place. And what we get a lot of questions is about met coal that's highly exposed to market price fluctuations and stuff. Um, it can be very cheap. It's great. Uh, Pabrai thing. Is he in something like this? I think he may actually literally be in some companies like this. Lately. Oh, really? Oh, well, I yeah, no I feel like Pabrai may have bought some coal thing recently or something. I could be making that up. Um, you know, probably remember much of his fund and stuff is outside of the United States. So even if you are seeing small amounts in stuff like this, um, you know, cause looks this like is he's very actually like, in AMR. Okay. According to this article. So it's yeah. super, super like, um, graph tech, right? We talked about graph tech. Um, and you brought up uranium at one point and stuff. Here's like, um, there's some things where the company could make a bunch of money in a short period of time and pay you off and everything. That's great. But you do also have to look at it and say, like, do these prices long term make sense for everyone in the value chain? And so can they be sustained? And if not, and you're just a commodity producer that has 
Yeah. We, we can oh, talk about this, about uh, where the stock price the... was and where it is now. So for people listening, mm-hmm. I mean, in 2020, this was like single digits, mid-single digits. And now I, this is like a $380 stock. What the? We actually, the two of us talked about this company back then uh, because of some complexities with some stuff. Of The stock dropped a lot. There were... I believe this is the one, unless it was that they had not changed their name yet, but they had warrants. And I was talking about how the warrants were mispriced and stuff because people were reacting like the price wouldn't recover at all. It's most similar to like um, California Resources or whatever, which was an oil company in California, but similarly had an issue where it uh, the price of the underlying commodity plunged to like nothing. And so the price of the stock dropped a lot, which isn't necessarily that smart because the price of the commodity would have to stay dropped for a long time. Any recovering, it would cause a big recovery in the stock price. It's similar. Also, had warrants out. Um, I don't know if that's true because I'm getting mixed up about whether this company was called Contura back in 2020. I think it was, and that's was. what we're talking about. It and this would have been fall 2019 into 2020 that we were talking about the stock and stuff. And I think it was called Contura, and I think there were warrants out. Um, I was most familiar with the company back then. Then is the honest answer. Um, yeah. It's very exciting. Look, you know we've never been in stocks that are exciting as this. So I know. Come on. Intelligent speculation, yeah. Jeff. I'm telling you. Look look at the um quick FS, you can see this too in the pricing. I mean, I would put it the same way as graph tech and stuff. Or the prices are what they are for the underlying commodity. Sometimes they go crazy. And if you own a lot of the commodity, the same as if you do of your AMARC precious metals or your um uh, Encore Wire or whatever, you've got, or Friedman Industries. You literally have, at some point in time, you know, even if we're saying it's game of hot potato or whatever, at some point in time, you're always holding a certain amount of an inventory. And then that blows up in terms of what the price is. You suddenly have a huge inflow of money when that happens. Now, if you look at the industry, I think you'll generally see it does not make sense for you to produce and others to use this at each point along the chain to actually deliver the finished product at a reasonable price that people will want. So like this has to be temporary or someone in the industry has to make a lot less money. You know what I'm saying? Um, If you are completely exposed to spot prices and stuff and you don't care about your customers and everything, you can just say, that's what the price is. Now, in the case of GraphTech and stuff, you know, behind the scenes, maybe a little bit on the podcast, I'm like, I don't think that's what happens. I think that ultimately... If you only have a few suppliers and a few that you deliver to and stuff, you say, we need a price that works for us. I mean, that's what in the auto supply business, that's always what happens. They'll won't say that, but like GM will make 5 million cars and say the price for each lock or each mirror, each whatever is this. It's per unit, but it's based on the number of sales. If GM says, oh, we're only selling a million now, then they'll say, okay, the price is now five times higher. And you don't have another supplier. So that's what it is. If you can produce lots and lots of cars, we'll charge you a low price. If you can't produce lots and lots of cars, we'll charge you a high price. There's a contract, but you can adjust it for us now to save us when we need it. Or you can adjust it later, but you will adjust because economically that's what really matters. Um, So if what they're, you know, what I'm saying is the price is not sustainable for the super long term in my view. Um, that doesn't mean you can't make the money now and then sell. We can look at some things with met prices and everything. Um, but we could just look at the company's earnings, maybe give you an idea of what they were and what they are at least. Can we at least look at things like, um, how much they changed maybe? Yeah. So So people have an idea. Yeah. I'll just read across from 2017 onward. 
155 million, 299 million in 2019. They lost 316 million in 2020. They lost 447 million. That's when the stock went from like 50 to single mm -hmm. digits. 2021, 289 million. And then 2022, uh, 1.4 billion. Yeah. So, I mean, just think about what one, but stocks were in and stuff. So we've been in NACO and stuff for the time when this stock was cheap and everything. Obviously, it would be better to be in this. Why weren't we in something like this? Why, when I was talking to you, would I talk specifically about the warrants and stuff? Because I don't know what the future of the company would be, but the likelihood that either it would be in bankruptcy totally and stuff and equity worthless or recover in a big way was much bigger than people would think and that there's very little outcome that's anything like the current stock price, right? Um, that was the case back then. There's not a way for it to go on the way it was going on. But if we look, if, just like the um, gross profit, you know, a, a very gross profit's a good way to look at just like what's a very stable company versus a very not stable company. There's all sorts of things about scale and the other things and one-time things that can throw stuff off. But if you have huge instability in how much gross profit you're earning from year to year, it's hard for people to know what this is worth unless they understand the industry and understand things like what are your reserves, what could your production levels be, what is your pricing at each place. That's why I say with like U.S. Steel, we don't know what it is, but like people in the industry do an estimate and are like, you know what, that I can buy that U.S. Steel plant for less than I could open a plant near them or something. That's what they're thinking. They're not doing it on like, here's what U.S. Steel's EBITDA is this year. They don't care about that. They might be what they put in the presentation to you, but that's not what they're thinking. Um, so let's go gross profit year by year um, from, let's say, 2017 or something so people get an idea. Uh, 2017, 229 million. 2018, 298 million. 2019, 121 million. Uh, here you go. 2020, negative 14 million gross profit mm -hmm. uh 2021 458 million and then 2022 1.7 billion and then you have to look at the presentation to get an idea about this but i've talked about this with semiconductors there's a tendency to think in terms of dollars but let's keep in mind that like the cost of goods sold for instance is a more accurate measure of their true volume because what's happening in revenue is you're seeing pricing incorporated mm -hmm. into that so like what you're saying is, okay, we sold 100 widgets, but if we sold 100 widgets at $2, we're a $200 million company. If we sold 100 widgets at 50 cents, we're a $50 million company. In both cases, we're selling 100 widgets. And you might overestimate how much they're selling uh, changes in terms of the volume that they're doing and how little, like, like use a really extreme example, Encore Wire. It really doesn't matter. They've already decided they're going to build buildings and do things and whatever and, and something like that. And Copper wire is a fairly small percentage, 95% or whatever the cost of the building project isn't going to have to do with copper wire. So like they're buying it. Mm -hmm. The price doubles, they're buying it. It quadruples, they're buying it. It quintuples, the, the uh, you know, they're buying it. Eventually it will affect the prices of things and they'll have to think about what to do, but it doesn't immediately scrap a project or something. And if you need met coal um, to produce metal at plants and stuff and, you know, you don't, you don't shut down the plant. You don't, I mean, they have unions. I mean, you know, all these things. So you can't just say the price of met coal went up a lot. So we're getting out of this. We're closing all these plants. We're shutting all this stuff down permanently, whatever you have to operate at some level doing something. Um, it's just so funny. Like when you look at these cyclicals of these commodities, I mean, that's where you just don't see too many businesses go from like, you know, mid single digits to 300, right. Within a few years or like a company like wire, even going 
from 2021, you know, 40 something mm-hmm. bucks to 216 bucks. I mean, it's just that's why they're just, very attractive. And if yeah. you get it right, you should, you, make a ton keep of money. A, you should almost just keep a list of these companies where it's like your one day stocks where you just wait for there to be just complete panic where it's just the prices get so cheap. Um, yeah. And I don't know, maybe I mean, you don't go in it with like a 20% huge position, but if you can, yeah. then you do. But I'm just saying, you know, it's just like a VC approach but, to it. The thing with Encore Wire, like Quan and I researched it. Encore Wire's in McKinney in Texas. I've been to their plant and stuff. Um, we think it's a really good business, really well run. Yeah. Uh, we also thought that they would not earn much more than normal source of economic profits in any condition except tight supply. That the best business model that you can have in this industry still means that in all years that aren't tight supply, that something's wrong. Um, you don't earn more than your cost of capital, basically. And you can look at the return on invested capital, and yes, the stock chart over a period of time is really highly up. All those profits are due to some little booms that happen. Mm-hmm. And you're all not looking to years, hold this till full cycle. You're going to for the, the mm-hmm. short supply situation. That's where you can make a ton of money, like, overnight. Yes. Uh, you better get out before other people figure of course. out it's time to get of out. Of course. I mean, you're not making money on you the have growth to be of the business here. I mean, there's a lot of like multiple expansion and, and everything else as well that goes into it. It's more the beauty contest mm-hmm. thing. I mean, you're not looking to hold this 10 years. It's like a one to two year play, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And that's... Uh, I mean, look, Buffett okay, bought but a bunch the- of silver, right? Why did he do that? Because there was he thought there would be a shortage in silver at one point. Yes, but we are talking in this podcast and talk, people talking about Brian and everything after they've had a big run. I'm not saying they won't have an even bigger run. It won't keep going. But notice we weren't talking at the absolute bottom. I mean, some people may have asked at the absolute bottom. I don't know. But I'm just saying let's keep that in mind that we probably get more questions about natural gas and stuff when it's at 7 than when it's at 2. And the time to be thinking about it is when it's at 2. Mm-hmm. Um, so... I mean, anytime um, a commodity trades below the price of producing it, supply comes out, mm-hmm. price is correct. That's historically a good time to start looking at this stuff. Yeah, but that's 100% true. But remember, when we talked about U.S. steel and stuff, there weren't that many people who were excited at 35 that were saying, oh, let's get in this because there's definitely going to be a bit of 55. But anyone could see that it was low relative to the price of like actually what it costs to build the things that you would need to produce things. So it was actually at low values relative to that. But people were like, look at the EBITDA, look at the next year, look at, I don't want to be in steel. Um, so I, um, I don't know what will happen. I know that after it happens, there'll be no natural consistency of buyers for your stock and stuff. Yeah. Um, That's no one just is interested crazy. in the stock other than it's hot. Well, you can go back there. They priced it at, like, I think probability-wise, it didn't even make sense. Just randomly, when we talked about this with the warrants and stuff, you couldn't have even known what the security was. It was not priced properly. People were so pessimistic about it, um, to me. So it as even as an option, as this little stub thing, I thought they weren't pricing it right. And then now they're positive on Met Cole and stuff, you know, but... But lots of things change at the company over time, and obviously they came very close to all sorts of stuff, and we could go through this whole history and all that change, and so it's much better now. The financial situation is different now because once you have this happen, it changes what the situation is. Um, uh, but even if we look at that, let's see. If we go to QuickFS, what does it have for like the asset value ones and things like that? Um, We're on Encore. Hold on a second. Yeah. 
we go to the balance sheets and we will pull up quarterly uh current assets a billion total assets 2.3 billion mm -hmm. so you can see like that the balance sheet looks good and stuff now right now yeah. there's all sorts of legacy things sometimes of these companies that we don't understand but um so that all looks good now on a price to asset basis it's not super cheap though right like what because if you take out the earnings now if if you're factoring in well i know that i'm going to get earnings for another year that will be good or something and that fixes everything because the earnings are so huge versus the company right now but we could just look at the overview then yeah what do we have for price to book price to book 3.3 times okay so that's you know that's generally would be way too high yeah. Um, but on things like EBITDA and price for the next year and stuff, it's very low. Like what's price to earnings? Price to earnings, we are at seven times. Yeah. 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 So I don't know. If you get another good year and stuff and you stay in and you know when to get out, you'll Could do be great. expensive if price is just crater. We won't be a <laughs> won't be a three times book forever. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever happens, good or bad, it'll find a way to get down to a book value of one or something. But its book value could be a lot higher in the future. But you know that multiple will contract. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Interesting. Interesting, interesting. Cool. Well, even though uh, that was more than a snap judgment, it was fun to talk about that uh, company. Whatever happened to the warrants? I don't know what happened with any of that. I really don't know what happened with any of the restructuring or anything. I mean... I we could find the exact date on when it was that cheap, but when we were talking, that was I remember talking about Contura. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, so it was pre-COVID, or COVID was happening, but no one knew in the world that was happening yet or something. So it was pre-COVID. So what happened in terms of why did I not know about what happened with the warrants and everything from that point on? Because COVID happened, and we were focused on lots of other things and never thought about stuff like that again. Um, is the honest answer. Lots of things happen in markets. Lots of things happen in life, whatever, after that. And so, yeah, it was totally forgotten. But that's what we were talking... I remember when it was, so yeah. Um, and yeah, so, but even like... Even when the stock went up, what? Um, well, let's just go to like a two-year chart or something we can see. So, you know, the stock, even when it was up a huge amount, which you see at the beginning of that two-year thing, that was astronomical increase. It still then would have had the power to, you know, double and stuff beyond that. Mm -hmm. So um, you can be up by a huge amount and then be up even more still. Mm -hmm. um, but like I said, we've always said on the podcast, whether we, we think Pabari is great, Pabari is good, whatever. Pabari is very different. He um, finds these situations want, often, I will say. Yeah. These cyclicals. Yeah. So if we add a Venn diagram of what we have intelligent things to say about and Venn diagram of what he would, it's not a huge overlap. Mm -hmm. truthfully of what we actually buy and do and everything and um look you only need to find a few of these ever as long as that's all that you do mm -hmm. and if you size the positions right and stuff you just don't have a few things go to zero and even if you have a few things go to zero it's fine as long as you find some things like this once in a while yeah for someone like pabri that loves to emulate munger and buffett so much his style it, it to me and again i don't know him just going off public mm -hmm discussions and just following him very loosely um it seems like his makeup like he's more well suited for these types of situations as opposed yeah. to the cannibals the buy and hold forever the buffett type stocks mm -hmm. 
But he's talked a little bit about that in interviews and stuff, or at least whether it was with students or interviews, you know, that his his father and his own background and stuff before getting invested involved in value investing and everything, all those influences were definitely towards a different kind of very thinking about business and stuff, but a different kind of way of how that works and um the macro things and surfing and things that make a lot of money and whatever on, on certain waves of technology and of commodity things and stuff, leverage, all that stuff. That's a bit different from mm-hmm. certainly the early days for Buffett and, and Munger and stuff. So, I mean, some of his formative stuff from before he got an interest in value investing, I'm sure he would say was different that way. Yeah. In terms mm-hmm. of that would make up your personality and stuff. Yeah. I mean, he's, um, he's, made, obviously, is, yeah. he's obviously made a ton of money. I mean, I've listened to talks where he, I think spoke about, just putting a hundred grand in a couple different like stocks in India and then not checking it for some time mm-hmm. or, you know, turning that hundred grand to like 10 million, just like casually. And I'm just thinking, I'm like, wow, that's like, that's, you know, that would be like the one story for most people. Like that was life changing money. It's just kind of like nonchalant. Like, mm-hmm. oh yeah, I just, you know, did it and it was 10 million bucks. And then, you know, blah, blah, blah. It's just like, damn, you know, it's crazy. Yeah. I mean, he's been at it a very long time and he was very successful in the, earliest years certainly there's no doubt before the financial crisis and stuff and i mean the early 2000s were a great time for several different value investors we've talked about and he definitely had an amazing record then and made a lot of money for people and um it also probably became more difficult i would say to do some of the value investing things we talked about since the financial crisis you know it was easier to find the things that value investors tend to like in the earlier 2000s and so maybe the combination of quality and value in the same place and stuff has gotten harder. And I don't know that it's necessarily wrong for value investing people to look in situations like these heavily cyclical things over the last 10 years, because it's been hard to find um, predictable things at reasonable values and stuff. I mean, it just has compared to what it was in my earlier days of investing. Um, There's a lot of the same public companies available now as were then. The prices are different. And so if a value investor has pricing discipline, he's going to have to look where there are opportunities. And so sometimes you have to go where the opportunities are. And sometimes that's predictable stuff, but other times it's less predictable because anything that's predictable gets priced really high. Mm -hmm. Sure. Cool. Well, I want to thank everybody so much for tuning in with you, both of us, on the Focused Compounding Podcast. Uh, be sure to hit the subscribe button wherever you are listening or watching us here today. Uh, follow me on X uh, to be on the lookout for any future uh, snap judgment tweets or call for questions for Q&As uh, or just uh, you know your thoughts and comments and questions on a specific topic that we're going to go over on the podcast. Uh, if you're interested in learning about our money management services... You can reach out to me at andreadfocuscompound.com or go to our website, www.focuscompound.com and click the Invest With Us tab to get more information on that. I want to thank everybody so much for all the support and we will see you in the next podcast. Take care.